You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. <laughs> Welcome to day 247 and 248. I mean, this is our episode, uh, what, one, two, four. <laughs> I just broke, because 248, just take each of those and it's 124th episode. <laughs> you saw my mind work. And it was uh, lacking. Wow, it's a brilliant machine. <laughs> it just lacks complexity. Uh, <laughs> it's crude. All right. All right. Great so, way to start the morning. <laughs> welcome. We're going to be, uh, let's continue talking through the Bible. Welcome to Fed by Ravens. All right. Our Old Testament reading for today is Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8, through chapter 10, verse 19. Isaiah! I gotta be honest, these chapters took me more, so I'll often read the passage kind of in the morning. It's a a quiet time of sorts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And these chapters, 5 through 10, took me twice as long as normal to read. Yeah. Because, and I I was looking back, because I was just like totally into it, looking up everything, putting everything together, um, only to find out, it's like, Rest assured, if all you know are some of these passages from Christmas time, like uh, mm-hmm. there'll be a, a son born of the Virgin, mm-hmm. uh, his name will be Emmanuel, and the government will rest on his shoulders, all these great verses. And so I went down all these, I put all these stories together, and it was so beautiful and amazing. It took me a long time. And then I was explaining them to my wife, and she's like, well, did you not know this before? And I'm like, well, no. Th- you come to the end of it, and you're like, oh, we're all good with what we hear on Christmas Eve. <laughs> So, I mean, it absolutely is a, um, a prophecy of Christ, but it's so much more than that. She's right. like, oh, so what am I missing? I'm like, well, no, you got it. You got it. You got the story. It's just so cool to actually put it together. And I made some connections, but that's kind of how Isaiah is. So if, you're, if you read through Isaiah and you're like, I don't see all the stuff you guys are saying, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the scriptures is that you will... Um, it's easy enough to apprehend. It, they used to say it's shallow enough for babies to crawl in and deep enough for elephants to wade in. Did you ever hear that? Yes. That's the kind of stuff you pay for at seminary. Okay. And it's like you'll never use it unless you do a show and you're on episode 126? No, 124. <laughs> All righty. Let's just get into it because we got a lot to talk Starts about. Starts off with the vision of God's glory. Wait, no. We yes. got to... No. We gotta wrap up. Oh. We gotta wrap up his uh, Your his song. Your thoroughness is so irritating. I know. So go ahead, do the boring stuff. Uh, I will. Don't crash if you're listening to this in your car. <laughs> Don't doze off. Keep listening. So yeah. we have the song of the vineyard. Yes. That uh, sucks the listeners in at a time of celebration to be like, yes, yes, and then he turns it on them. You're the wild grapes! Ah! <clears throat> and gets them and goes on this nice little woe to the wicked, yeah. which we made a quick song about before, and we, we didn't... did? Well, you did, and we didn't uh, record it or anything, but I just wanted to tell you that it existed for oh. a brief second. Earlier today, it was something like this. goes on um that song is actually hidden in there if you have the magic glasses yeah exactly uh and basically 
he's uh, I got now move. condemning yeah. uh, Judah and being like, look, you guys have totally turned away. You've turned to everything else but God for your strength and salvation and comfort. So I got them broken down here. Exploiting, mm-hmm. woe. Drunkenness, woe. Pride in your sin, woe. Twisting moral standards, saying what is bad or evil is good, woe. Perverting mm-hmm. justice, woe. God will discipline Israel. And he had this nice little line about Assyria is going to be my rod, my little uh, wooden paddle, mm. and it's waiting. It's a waiting. Um, I did realize Jesus, we, we did, I thought you were referring to maybe we made a song when we were going through the Gospels, because Jesus has, like in Luke, he has a woe section, and in Matthew, he has a woe mm-hmm. to you Pharisees, mm-hmm. which is very similar to Oh, this. yes, so it is. I, I just love seeing kind the of the blueprint. The consistency of the language. The consistency of the prophet, mm-hmm. the great prophets that come to the people of God is, uh, well, completely consistent. It's thorough. Yes. So, again, we're at the point where Israel, you need to repent. Yeah. Israel is on the verge of being uh, overtaken, and Isaiah is constantly reminding Judah, do not rejoice or be comfortable in this. And here's why woes are important to us. We need to be told, whoa, slow down. Here's Mm -hmm. what's going on. Because they tether us to truth, right? They keep us... Um, cause these things will tether us or I guess the woes will keep us from freedom. And so it's like, Hey, whoa, I want you to be free. You gotta, you need to cry out for help and yeah. repent so I can free you right. from the excess and the drunkenness and the things that mm-hmm. seem cool at first and spiral out of control. All that sets up the great <clears throat> culmination of chapters one through five, right? Yes. Yes. So then we land on chapter six, which is the kind of framing out, uh, the first five chapters, and uh, it's what you were excited to just jump into. I know. It's so exciting um, because, you know, we haven't really seen God or heard from God. You have creation. Mm -hmm. We've heard from God a lot, but in creation, God is interacting, and then you get God kind of showing his backside to Moses, Mm -hmm. and then you get God filling the temple with the cloud and fire, but now you have a vision given to Isaiah where he sees kind of kind of sees the glory of God. He just sees the glory of God. It's not like he looks into God's face or anything. No, but... But it's pretty darn close. So there's a lot of things. I mean, I could spend (laughs) this entire episode just on chapter 6 because it's so cool. But the cool thing is... uh, What's the coolest thing, Matt? Oh, man. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. I mean, that's Mm. basically... So for me, I think the cool thing is that the Lord appears or shows up to Isaiah in a way that's either reflecting uh, earthly realities yes, or in a, and or in a way that's familiar to Isaiah and Isaiah can at least wrap his head around what's right. going on. And I think he can because remember, um, he's seen U- Uzziah mm-hmm. got the leprous forehead because he wanted to be in the temple of God. So the temple is like active mm-hmm. and he, so he's imagining <clears throat> getting a vision of God in the temple, but you find out it's like not the earthly temple. No, it's the heavenly temple. Which Hebrews talks about, that the earthly stuff is really a picture of what's going mm-hmm. on in the heavenly reality mm-hmm. and much greater. And so God's glory is, the, the train of his robe is filling up this mm-hmm. temple. You got like the cherubims over the ark. When well, now yeah. you have seraphims who are singing and covering their eyes with one set of wings, covering their feet with another, and then flying with the third set of wings. Yeah. And, and all, anyway, you could get into all that. It's really cool. But 
the response of Isaiah is the thing we focus on because he recognizes in the midst of the glory of God, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm with a people of unclean lips. Holy moly. Yeah, so he has just come off of saying woe to everyone in Israel and Judah, but in he can say this because he recognizes his own sinfulness and he has his own confession uh, inside the heavenly temple of God upon seeing the glory of God and seeing, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips in a land of unclean lips, and he is, I think, expecting death. Yes, he's absolutely expecting death in the presence of God because God is so pure mm-hmm. and so life that, uh, and I like this thought, this is, this is something that, you know, everyone put in your back pocket today. As you grow in any field, right, as mm-hmm. you learn more, and you become an expert in something, you start to realize how much you don't know about mm-hmm. it, right? And so it's a weird thing that as you get closer to God, you can do everything right according to the people around you right. and feel good about that. Like, I've done a good job in my marriage, 21 years, mm-hmm. and I can look at your marriage and go, what a nightmare, mm-hmm. and judge you and say all sorts of things. But when you approach God, you realize... God have mercy on me. There's yeah. so many areas I did not do it right. I did not have mercy. And so as he approaches God, he realizes I'm worthy of death. But God takes, or one of the seraphim, right, takes a, a coal yes. from the heavenly altar, puts it on his lips. It should burn him to mm-hmm. death, right? But it cleanses and purifies him. That's the law and gospel. <clears throat> like what should destroy you, which is the, the law, which says you have failed, mm-hmm. now you must die. When it's in God's hands, the judgment turns to a purification and actually it purifies and burns off all the dross and you come out shining. Yeah, I did want to note that this happens, like this purification happens in light of his confession. Yeah, oh, that's such a great... Uh, like, so he confesses, woe is me, and then receives absolution at the altar of God. In the heavenly altar, he receives absolution and then is... Uh, is called upon and uh, sanctioned for his ministry. Right, because it's gonna. I'm calling you to go speak on behalf of me. Mm-hmm. I'm a man of unclean lips, so you don't let the sins of your past keep you from doing what God has cleansed you for and equipped you for. Yeah. I also think of the Lord's Supper. It's another element, right? Mm-hmm. This burning coal, it's like a, a real thing, but it's a spiritual thing, and how they mix, we approach it by faith, receiving both mm-hmm. the physical and the spiritual benefits of God. And so he says, who shall I send? And this is where the nerve of Isaiah, having been cleansed, having confessed, it's so funny. Matt is actually wearing a shirt today that says, here I am, send me. Because he went to a uh, orientation at um, a seminary. Yeah. And so he's got this uh, shirt. And I said to him, I go, do you know we're reading that passage today? And he <laughs> looks at me with his doughy eyes. No, I had no idea. And he was being honest. His face looked like my face when I do math. <laughs> And it's like, really? You're so coordinated <laughs> with the Word of God. We're so steeped in this. 124 days in, no, 124 days in that we don't even realize we're dressing according to the Scriptures now. I actually, I have a robe on right now. <laughs> and his train is filling this room. I threw away all my amulets <laughs> having read yesterday. Okay, so we got to keep on going. Yeah, I know. Uh, so this is so the Lord then gives him his assignment. Which is kind of not great at first. Do you remember last year this time a hurricane came through and you helped me cut down that tree that produced yellow flowers? Yes. 
We had to cut it apart. We tried to hack the root system, right? Mm-hmm. Guess what has sprouted out of that this this time this year? A branch out of the stump. I got a whole little... I actually made it a little bush now. Huh. I know. Out of death. And this is exact. He says... A well, George he's, W? He's what? A little George W? A little bush? <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow, I didn't know. <laughs> How old were you when Bush was president? Okay. It's like George Washington to me. Um, so the Lord says, you're going to go to a people who will not hear, will not understand. He uh, says the holy seed is a stump. That's why yeah. I bring that up. And then he... It but looks then dead. He, he's like, and everything's going to look like it's dead mm-hmm. and done and over, but don't worry, from this stump that is my people will sprout a branch. The holy seed the will holy restore seed. you. Mm-hmm. And again, it's so beautiful on an individual and a corporate level. We've all done things. We should be a stump. Mm-hmm. Corporately, individually, yet when Christ intercedes and sends his word, he will bring forth the holy seed is in you. Yeah, The faith of the Lord Jesus Christ is in you. And it will produce. All right. Great. In the meantime, you're going to look like a stump yes. and be a little dried out. Yes. Okay. So then we fast forward because it goes straight to Ahaz. And I realized, oh, he's... So in this, it's not chronological. Isaiah now, his his um, prophecy in his book goes to the years of Ahaz. So he fast forwards 16 years, mm-hmm. right? Because wasn't this original section, one through, Jotham. one through six is to Jotham. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was to Jotham. Yeah, I guess he doesn't fast forward. He's ready to go. He he jumps ahead. He's ready to go to Ahaz, Mm -hmm. who, I want to remind everybody, is a bad, bad king. Yeah. uh, And he has a 16-year reign, and Isaiah's there for all of it. I mean, he, like, opened up, like, he was sacrificing his sons. Yeah. And, like, all this stuff. Straight-up evil uh, necromancers and sorcerers and everything. He really paved the way for uh, future kings. Isaiah brings like this amazing, amazing message to him, which is like, hey, God wants to say, like you're absolutely, the spirit of fear from Syria and Ephraim, like it's all gonna Yeah, so if you remember from Chronicles and Kings, this was like a really tumultuous time for Judah and Syria and Israel had teamed up and and were going to, were threatening Syria and were, or threatening Judah and attacking Judah and Ahaz kept doubling down on, like, other gods and idols to, like, try to save himself. Right. Uh, and it was just a mess. But what's really cool is the Lord does not cease to speak to his children despite their disobedience. And even through their bad king who yeah. hates God. He still is giving some of the most hopeful signs through Isaiah to this evil, wicked king who wants nothing to do with the Lord. And when God throws him a rope... See, yeah. when people are stuck in their sin, yeah. stuff, they don't even want the help of God no. because they feel like they don't deserve it. For whatever reason, it's false piety. And they'll yes. be like, no, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. That's what Ahaz does in this prophecy. Mm-hmm. So we're getting to the, the prophecy of uh, a child will be born of a virgin. Yeah. So Isaiah's like trying to tell him, like, don't worry. Don't fear about Ephraim and Syria. Yeah. They're going to be destroyed uh, soon. And... Ask the Lord for a sign. He says, ask the Lord for a sign. Let it be as be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So Isaiah says to Ahaz, the bad king, ask for the most ridiculous thing you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. And instead, Ahaz, because he's stuck in his sin and stubbornness and so far from God, he's like, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Which, Why? Which, okay, so like originally... It sounds kind of holy. It sounds kind of like, 
oh man, he's doing, he said the right thing. No. And I'm like, now going through it and going like, when the Lord says, ask for something, ask for something, do it, ask for something. New motorcycle. It's not a trick. Right. Hot tub. Like, when he says ask for something, you should just enter into that relationship. So all Ahaz had to do was say, victory over our enemies, please. Yeah. And God's like, perfect. I've already been promising you that. All right. Yeah. But instead, he says, no, I won't do this. And then you get the prophet getting kind of mad, you know? Like, Isaiah's like, hear then. Yeah. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Mm-hmm. Therefore, the God, uh, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So this is where the promise of Jesus is kind of embedded. So it's in, mm-hmm. embedded in a very real narrative of Ahaz mm-hmm. needing victory against the, um, the, the, North. the Syrians and the Eph- like they're going to be taking mm-hmm. everything over. And this is where Isaiah just kind of drops, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, she, and she'll call his name Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. And then he describes like the prophet, right? Eat curds, honey. He knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he's saying, but now I'm going to give you, so the promise is I'm going to give you a king mm-hmm. who will know the difference between good and evil. And by the time he comes to power, these powers that are threatening you will be long gone. Yeah, and so this is like a prophecy within a prophecy. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like a twofold thing. It's clearly talking about Christ, but then it's also talking about um, either Isaiah's son. Well, yes. Or uh, Hezekiah, and it's talking about like within their own timeline, uh, a son's a child's going to be born, and before he's even weaned. Uh, the two kings that he's fearing will be destroyed by Assyria. Well, that's the thing. And so um, in that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt. Like, and the Mm -hmm. bee will come. It's like, he's calling these little pests. God's going to call these pests to bring destruction. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the day of the Lord, that day of the Lord, and it goes on, it kind of describes how bad it's going to be. But the thing I connected was Ahaz had a chance to receive this and didn't. Yeah, didn't and i think about the sweet little joseph and mary and mm-hmm. joseph receives it and says all right lord you're bringing a, a child born of the virgin that's going to be god with us right so much more to say um yeah if, and if so you are if a you, scholar forgive us we're not diving as deep as we can but this we're trying to keep the story going here. yeah and if you remember this is when ahaz did actually try to make a deal with assyria mm. to help him like he tried to make this happen on his own right and the lord's like i'll make it happen for you don't worry about it but ahaz tried to make it happen with making a deal with assyria assyria then turned on them that's such a good and point. abused them because he was like jumping the gun and not waiting on the Lord. Dude, that's such a good point in the midst of this great prophecy mm-hmm. of Jesus being born of a virgin mm-hmm. to realize Ahaz decides, thanks, I don't really like your plan. I'm going to make my own deals. Mm-hmm. That's To keep the story going, that's mm-hmm. kind of our point with this, I think, right? Yes. So in chapter 8, it's basically the building of uh, the Assyrian invasion. Yes. Because they didn't really see, uh, God really brought Assyria, because it's different from Syria yeah. and from the surrounding place. Assyria is coming from farther north or something. Or farther kind of north. Northeast. East, yes. Yeah, so um, so this is all kind of a shocker. From Mesopotamia. Ahaz didn't heed it, so a different sign is given. And, um, well, actually, I, 
I don't know if a different sign was given, but the idea of, I have so many verses written down and so much to say. I'm trying to figure out how to keep the story going here. Well, so he's just basically saying like, fine, if you won't, okay, so he, he says, because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of uh, Ramalia, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many. So he's basically saying, since Judah and Ahaz is not listening to God and just relying on him for a solution, then the gentle waters that he was going to use to cleanse out uh, the northern tribes, he's now going to use Assyria, at, which they call the Great River, okay. because they're embedded in between the Euphrates, Tigris and Euphrates. And he's like, they're going to come and sweep this whole land like a flood, and they're going to wash all of you out. Cleanse they're going to wash Israel, Assyria, Israel, Syria, and Judah. They're going to wash you all out. I, mean, I just have like a little note I put after reading chapter 8. God will answer you from his word and seal you with his peace. Yes. It's like for us, the people of God, mm-hmm. we trust the word of God and that seals us with his peace. Yes. So then we get into the great sh- chapter 9 where mm-hmm. it just gets so explicit about unto us a child is born. Yes. And uh, for, for to us a child is born... To us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay, so... you, You go, then I'll go. So that is always, like... That's pretty familiar to us. We hear that almost every Christmas. Right. The part that I don't really hear a whole lot is the first part of this, which he says, um, uh, basically, he's like talking about the land of Galilee and how mm. that is a land of darkness. Yes. Because the Assyrians, that's the first place to go when the Assyrians come in. Uh, the great Z- darkness is Z- coming down. Zebulon and uh, Naphtali yeah. are overtaken, and they're in the land of Galilee. And he says, there's going to be a light that shines out in Galilee, which is, oh, what? Jesus yeah, has so starts his ministry in Galilee. And it's and he calls it, it'll be like the day of, uh, what does he call it? It'll be like as if on the day of Midian, which, so this great light shining in the darkness. So the day of Midian is when Gideon defeated the Midianites oh, yeah. and surrounded them in the valley and shattered the jars of clay and... With the, with, and with the torches? Had the torches, yes. so this great light went into the darkness. And so he's like, he's announcing this victory is going to shine out of Galilee. Well, So and, cool. And this great victory is going to be a new baby king. Yes, another, a, a boy king. A boy king, and he's going to be the best king in David's line ever. Yes. And there's going to be no end to his reign. You can go on about each part of that. We'll save that for Christmas. But um, I just love the idea that in the Garden of Eden, when we're kicked out, the, the hope that the seed of the woman would crush mm-hmm. the head of the serpent, mm-hmm. there's always, for if you're a Christian or you're a part of this story, the expectation for a, a child to be born that would save us, the expectation for the next king to save us, the yes. expectation yes. for that Savior coming has always been in front of us, mm-hmm. and we are always the expectant, hopeful people. Is this the one? Is this the one? Yes. And then we're let down. Is this the one? No, that's not the one. Is it? We're always waiting because we know God's word is true, mm-hmm. and so this is a promise to them. I'm just imagining after Ahaz, the people 
I don't know how this is all distributed to the people or if it is. Yeah. But at least the leadership is going, there is a king coming that's going to be great. Well, and who you, is it? And you do have to re- be reminded, like, they're just like us. Yes. And so they're only thinking of their own time. Yeah. And so when Hezekiah hits the scene, people were probably pretty excited. Yeah, Hezekiah is the guy. Because Hezekiah is the next king, and he was, like, pretty awesome. He was awesome. Um, but he fails, and it's like we're waiting for this. Yeah. So uh, chapter 9 kind of ends with, like, uh, Syria and Israel, northern Israel. You're mm-hmm. done. Yeah. You've been given all the chances. You're done. You're going to devour yourselves. <sighs> Syria is going to destroy you. We get into chapter 10, which will end here, and Coffee. it's... It's basically God saying, I'm going to use Assyria to punish you. Assyria is my instrument, but I will also have to punish Assyria because they are going to think this is, we did all of this out of our own strength. Right. And so Assyria will get punished. They were God's instrument, Mm -hmm. but they got proud. Last thought on this. Again, Isaiah is talking about the prosperity and all this kind of stuff that they're currently... When he's delivering this message, everyone's like, nothing's wrong. We're powerful. Yes. And that's the other thing is this is not like right as Assyria is invading. No. Like, this is before Assyria has invaded. This is before all this stuff happens. So you got to remember, this is like a year, mm-hmm. maybe two, three years, who knows how many years ahead. And it's like, we're so strong right now. But the thought occurred to me, prosperity and power are not the truest sign of God's blessing. Mm-hmm. Because we believe that. If things are going well, I'm being blessed. So what is the truest sign of God's blessing? Goodness and mercy, mm. according to the prophet, right? Yeah. So like whether you have a lot or a little, you're, the goodness that you share from the Lord and the mercy you have, it means you are experiencing the truest blessing of God because you're with him. Mm-hmm. And so even for us today, don't, don't take refuge in all the blessings we have of money and shelter that's not the truest sign of God's blessing. The truest sign is how much mercy is yeah. filling you because you're recognizing that God has been merciful to you. Anyway, and then so many things. I do I just want to say, like, he ends with um, basically announcing the destruction of Assyria, and that will happen actually within the lifetime of the prophet in Hezekiah's day. So it is pretty interesting. It's fascinating. All right. Holy cow. We spent a lot of time on that. reading for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2 through chapter 8 verse 15. Fortunately there's not a lot to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so let's um he repeats a phrase we mentioned yesterday which is um actually it's been lingering with me all all morning. Do you have to? Yeah did you have to let it linger? Make room in your hearts for us. Mm. This, mm. this idea of I've made room in my heart for you, like making room. I mean, think about physically what you have to do. Like, surprise, I'm going to stay. I need to, a place to crash, Matt. So you go home, you and Christina figure out, where is Adam going to sleep tonight? And we make room. You know, you, you make room. We're welcoming you in. Mm-hmm. It is a burden. It is <laughs> very irritating. <laughs> uh, it is a, kind of at a cost. If you're giving up some of your privacy and you're giving up, like, I'm, you know I'm going to eat your food and not do the dishes and, and I'm going to try and then ask for forgiveness. You got to oh, make room for me, Matt. Where's the good news here? No, no, this isn't a good news situation. 
seriously. But like, we're when, in the when, gospel. When can I bring my stuff by? Actually, can you just pick it up? Um, <laughs> make room in your hearts. And the context of the whole letter, he had to bring a hard message. Yeah. This one, he's bringing comfort. He mm-hmm. gets back to that theme mm-hmm. in chapter seven where he says comfort a ton of times. Yeah. But the idea of, I've made room in my hearts for you guys. So you've been mean to me, mm-hmm. but I have room there. I've made room. I'm yeah. providing allowances for you to be a little messy and we have hard conversations, And but you're living here now because you have the gospel of Christ mm-hmm. and that binds us together. We yeah, are part of the yeah, body of good. Christ together. And so he even gets to the point where he says, I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. I, you give me joy. I hope that I give you joy too. Like yes. I'm giving you an example of here's how we make room for mm-hmm. each other. And there's times where, hey, yesterday I threw your tennis shoes outside because I've told you not to put them here. Where they are. Yeah, and I've just huh. thrown them out. And now we're working that through. Hey, sorry for throwing your shoes. I brought them back in. And you're like, oh, I didn't know they were even outside. Right, I was so mad. But we're making room for one another to work through it. Mm-hmm. Why? For comfort. Because the law of the gospel, the law and the gospel, we can live under the terror of the law. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to tear each other apart, you did this, you did that, you're not a good Christian, you're a bad Christian, you're breaking God's out. That's going to only produce terror. Mm-hmm. And that's only half of our story. Right. We are terrorized. Our conscience terrorizes us. We're scared of judgment. We're even scared of God sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you open your hearts by then proclaiming the gospel to one another. And that's what Jesus does. And that's where we find all of our comfort. We're comforted in this widening of our hearts. God's made room in his heart for us. We make room in our hearts for each other. So he does bring up a a really cool idea that I've I've experienced this like the I've seen this go both ways. And so um because he talks about like in this life as we're working out and as we're working together how to live with one another there are times where we have hard conversations but the hard yeah. conversations are to bring you to godly grief. Mhm. And the idea yes. of godly grief is when when someone uh rebukes you or someone says, "Hey man, I that hurt me, or yeah. I didn't like that. Uh, the godly grief is stirred up when you're like, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. I, and it leads to repentance. Will you forgive me for hurting you? And he's like, I'm not doing this to just grieve you. Right. Like So then I have seen where you do say something like, like, man, that really hurt me. That was messed up. And the other person is just like, oh, Okay, and then they're just like now they're upset. Yeah, and now they're just grieved, but there's no repentance, there's oh, no are we forgiveness. Gonna, are we gonna count now? Because yeah. you hurt me once before. Yeah, and that's what we all get sucked into. We get sucked into ungodly grief, which yes. leads to no repentance and just builds a division between us. Well, he says godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Right. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Right. It just it separates. So it ends us. the relationship. Mm-hmm. And even you and I have had times where it's like. Oftentimes, we don't even have to say it. It's like, hey, sorry about that thing I said. And then the other, I forgive you, man. Yeah. But, um, and then it actually produces salvation of the relationship. Yes. Not just your eternal salvation. Yes. Um, and so he, he is trying to go, he's explaining like, hey, when I was writing to you in 1 Corinthians, in the first letter, I, w- I was trying to get us to a point of godly grief, and it did. Yeah. You guys did repent, and I'm so glad to hear about it. This is awesome. I'm so glad. I didn't want to cause you any pain, but I'm glad I went through with it anyways. 
I, I'm glad we had that hard conversation. And think about well, how do you feel after you have the hard conversation and it goes well? Both people are like, like hey, I forgive you, man, because I know you're, we're on the same team. Yes. And what happens? Therefore, he says, we are comforted. Mm-hmm. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. And then he goes into Titus saying, mm-hmm. I sent Titus to you to comfort you and to tell you these things. And, and then he came back and was so happy. And then, so it w- that was really cool yes. like to kind of have Paul walk through. Because I have seen where th- there is always the risk of, of confronting someone it goes one way or the and, other. And and it produces the wrong kind of grief, and they're just now mad at you. Well, I love how he ends it, too. Like, I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. Yeah. Which, think about, that's the thing that's been destroyed by lies and rumors mm-hmm. about Paul. He mm-hmm. could be like, I can't trust anything you guys say or do. Right. But because this godly grief and repentance and forgiveness for one another, it produces comfort and restores confidence. And it does. I mean, we can go on and spend a lot of time, too, talking about how hearts are turned. Uh, Yeah, but we won't. You get it. You get it. So he moves into chapter 8, because if you remember, this is still the famine is going on, and it's really hitting hard in Judea. And so he's going around collecting money from churches, and Corinth, early on, kind of was resistant to giving anything to uh, Paul and Titus. And Paul... Paul's, though, now encouraging them, saying, like, hey, I'm with all these churches in Macedonia, and they're, like, not rich. They do not have the wealth you guys have, and they're giving out of their poverty, and it's amazing and really great because they they are excited to be of any help to their fellow Christians in Judea. And this, so let that encourage you. Yeah, this is a tremendous section on giving and mm-hmm. our attitudes toward giving Yeah, because um, Paul starts off, yeah, he's recognizing in Macedonia they're undergoing great persecution. Mm-hmm. Corinth, you're doing well. Yeah, but it doesn't even matter. He's saying, "Look, you all. I want you all to give out of generosity. Like we don't. The thing I realize that Paul really gets. He's like, I want you to excel in generosity mm-hmm. as well as love and faith and speech and knowledge and all these things you're good at, because um, God doesn't command. And Paul says, I'm not giving you a command. Yeah, God doesn't want your taxes." And doesn't put law on you. See, we all pay taxes. My sweet daughter got her job and realized you make a thousand bucks, you take home like 700. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? Right. That's the law. Mm-hmm. And it's not great. God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I command you to give a tithe. He says, yeah. you are not my slaves, but you're my kids. Mm-hmm. And as my kids, we're generous. Yeah. And, and then he, ex- he like, uh, talks about or addresses the quick like one part of the great exchange yeah. that Christ did for us on the cross. Oh, it's so and good. And he's like, Christ became poverty so that you might be rich, which is... I mean, we, I think you should, for you, know, we should read it. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Mm-hmm. I love that because I, I think we all have a fear of poverty at times. Like, yeah. am I going to lose my job? Is this going to happen? And it's helpful to just say out loud, Christ, you became poor that I might be rich. Yeah, I yeah. give you that fear of poverty. And then you think about Christ who has all things. In the, we just read mm-hmm. about the throne room right. of God. Christ comes from there, gives up everything. And ends up on a cross, naked, with no one. Borrowed room the night before, a borrowed donkey. Yeah. Like he owns nothing. His clothes are being gambled away in front of him. Right. And 
he's hung between two thieves. He's being separated. He's a emo- like he's a relationally poor between him and God. He becomes separated be- yeah. uh, between him and God and from family and friends. Everyone's abandoned him. And so like all aspects of poverty he experienced so that we might have access to his richness. Which is so amazing because it really hits the thought we all have mm-hmm. when there's a need that arises or we're kind of feeling like we need to be generous or give to church. We always kind of, we don't say it out loud, but what about me? Am I supposed to starve so that mm-hmm. you can eat? And it's funny, not in a ha-ha way, in an ironic way, that our very Savior went all the way. Yeah. What about me? If Jesus said, what about me? None of us are saved. Right. So yes, that's right. You might walk through some hardship of poverty, mm-hmm. but you're not giving to please God or say, oh, now am I saved? You're doing it because you have the heart of God. And that's what that I realized is that God doesn't need your money. No. He wants your heart and he wants you to be a part of giving life, not just always receiving mm-hmm. it. And when you give, see, the thing we can't buy is joy. Right. And money doesn't give joy. Mm-mm. And God gives joy when we are teamed up with him. And so Paul's like, generosity is the fruit of your love. Yes. And he does say, he's like, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Right. He's like, but then he ends up quoting uh, Exodus. I know. Which is so great. He's, a, he's basically addressing our whole, what our whole mindset should be, which is what God's mindset was for his people from the beginning even in the wilderness with manna. Well, that's what he's quoting. Yes. Your mindset with money is manna from heaven yes. drops every day. You collect what you need and you share with others because you know the next day God's going to provide for you. Yes. So have this view. And when it comes to money, hold it loosely because God provides everything for you. Even when you were in the desert, mm-hmm. when you should have died, God provided manna and water and quail and he, that's who he is. Yes. And so be generous with your brothers and sisters in Christ because there might be a time, there'll be a time where it's, you need their generosity and we're just distributing and loving one another. Well, think about how subversive the church is at this point. If you don't have the church, the rest of the world, you rely on your government. Yeah. So that's what we do now. Right, right. We all give and let them take ridiculous mm-hmm. amounts out of our paycheck because they're going to, quote unquote, take care of us yes. in our time of need, protect us. And the church says, we don't trust governments of men. We trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Macedonia is going to help the Jews. The Greeks Christians are going to help the Jewish Christians because we're under a different king and under a different tax system. One is not, that is not commanded. It's not legal. It's all grace-driven out of love and generosity um, because of what God has done for us. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it changes your whole view of money. Um, we're all still in process with that. You know, but I do encourage you if you've never given or you've never given to where me, you know what? It might pinch a little bit. Yeah. Then you're not going to experience, you're missing out on some joy. That's all I'll say. You're missing out by not giving because see, I want to say that because the lie is if I give, I'm going to miss out on something Mm -hmm. nice. I won't be able to get my boat or something. But the truth is if you fail to give and be generous, you will miss out on the joy, the full expression of joy God has for you in his church. Whoop, whoop. Should we give them a number to donate to right now? <laughs> oh, I won't put you to it right now, but uh, we will be calling Because so. <laughs> we have needs here. All right. Our 
I'm actually pulling an audible. Our psalm for today is going to be in chapter 105, but I'm going to do uh, verses 12 through 22. It's not really within the two days reading, but we I skipped it. No one even knows. So just do it. I'm doing it because it fits along with what, we're, what we just talked about. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, the ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.